classrooms of America. There, your children's lives will be shaped. the 180 Days Podcast, where teachers and leaders from the education community come to share their wisdom and experience to help educators survive, thrive, and better serve the needs of students. I'm one of the co-hosts, Tim Pope. Hello, welcome to 180 Days Education Podcast. I'm Karen Greenhouse, one of your hosts, and I am joined by our other host, Tim Pope. How's it going? All right, so we are excited today. We have uh, a friend of both of both Tim and mine, um, is Ish Zamora, and he is a math and science department chair at Bloom High School in Chicago Heights, Illinois. He's been a math educator for over 20 years, um, and pretty much you've taught every possible math there is, it looks like, when I'm sitting here looking at your bio, Ish. And so Ish is here to kind of share with us some of the challenges and successes of working in the time of COVID and being a leader and how to support teachers. So welcome, Ish. We are excited to have you. Thank you. It's nice to see both of you virtually, um, especially during this corona thing. I'm getting used to these uh, virtual meetings. Yeah. And this one's a little strange because we can't even see each other. So we're just like listening. (laughs) Waiting for that awkward pause and hope it doesn't last too long. So I guess my first question to you is because I know that this being a um, department chair, so math and science, is new to you. You you left the classroom and now you're, this was your first year as being a leader. So how is that going? I've actually, I've been um, department chair for about 15 years. This is only the second time I've had a position where I'm not teaching. Um, The last one I had was two years ago where I wasn't teaching, also in charge of math and science. This is um, the first time in a couple of years that I had a break from it and got to go back in the classroom. Uh, and I love the classroom and everything I was trying to accomplish when I was a leader, um, I put into practice as a teacher and realized that it really works and I got to get more people excited about doing it. So it's nice to now go someplace where they need somebody who's got that enthusiasm, who wants to get kids excited about math and get teachers excited about math. So it's been really nice. It's the hard part, obviously, is not seeing people or not seeing kids at all. So what what is the model that your school is using right now? How are you guys doing instruction? Well, we just shifted about a week ago. Um, we were completely remote with the teachers in the building um, four days a week. Wednesday, they'd be working from home. Uh, recently, because of the COVID numbers spiking again in, in the Chicago area, we moved to teachers remotely. So the teachers are teaching at home every day. And the administrators are now coming in to the building. And we only do three days a week. So I'm on there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're trying to limit the number of people who have exposure to other people. So I'm supporting teachers from home two days and from the office three days. And the teachers are fully at home. And the students will be at home the entire first semester. Wow. So what is that? What does that mean? Like you're you're supporting teachers, but you're not seeing any teachers. So what are you doing when you go to your office at the school? Like what what are you actually doing? Just watching them online? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I heard 
somebody described it as um, like conducting a seance. And it's like I am watching somebody conduct a seance. So I'm sitting there when I do observations, watching a Zoom meeting or watching a Google Meet with the teacher has, you know, two or three windows open. I can only see what they are sharing with me. So sometimes when they're in breakout rooms, I'm seeing um, them pantomiming to the students and have no idea what they're saying. So supporting them has become kind of a, a game of what are they saying? Who are they saying it to? What did the kids chime in? Um, were the kids relatively engaged? It, it's more support, I think, now for just giving them ideas or being there for them when they're having that frustrating moment that says, you know what? I had a lesson and nobody answered a single question because I didn't know if there was anybody there. Is it required to have students' cameras off or on or anything like that? Right. We decided uh, early on in the process to not have the students required to have the cameras. Mm. So they did that because the socioeconomics of the community is not that great. And some of the kids had said in March when this happened the first time that they didn't want to have their cameras on because they were ashamed of where they lived or they were ashamed of what their house or their room looked like. So because of the um, social emotional aspect of it, we decided to not have that happen. Plus, they really didn't have Chromebooks that had cameras. And at the time, some of the technology hadn't caught up with the masking of the background. So we decided as a district to not do that, to just say, you know what, we're going to let the kids uh, do it without their cameras on. Yeah, I think that 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 second that second piece you mentioned, I think it's uh, underappreciated. I mean, yes, there's the the socioeconomic piece in terms of do you want to see the home, but I think there's also, I mean, it, just if you live in a smaller home, I, I can see. I mean, you might be a little uncomfortable with the the whole world, or at least the whole world as a teenager looks at it, um, seeing your bedroom. And get there's a, there's a sort of a forced intimacy there that uh, I, I agree. I don't think we should be requiring. So if you're not requiring, how do you know, I mean, in theory, a student could say they're on, you know, log on, but not even be paying an attention. So I guess that's where the teachers are struggling is no one's answering because they don't actually know if they're there. Right. Amen. Yeah. Right? And we've got a, <laughs> we've got a couple of tools that uh, kind of give us a window. They're, they've come out with some pretty good things that allow us to see what's on their Chromebook, but uh, on their computer, it, it, they have to log in to the school approved uh, classroom and then we could see what they're doing on their computer. But if they're using their personal device or their phone and they don't log in that way, then we have no window to see what they're doing. We've found a whole lot of technology that could kind of help, but it's still kind of a trust game because some kids, sure. they're logging in, their computer's sitting there. So their computer is sitting there at the screen they're supposed to be but they're off taking care of their siblings or taking care of whatever business, watching TV, playing video games. We really don't know where they're at because we can't see them. And again, the cameras aren't on, but their computer is on the screen that they want to be on. I mean, there are tools that exist. I mean, there's nothing perfect. You're right. There's, I mean, but I mean, honestly, I'm at a school where the kids have their, uh, we don't require it, but we strongly encourage cameras on. And there's nothing, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I mean, there are kids who I'm sure actually are sitting there watching a, a soccer game or something on the screen next to their computer. So just because they're looking at you doesn't mean that they have other distractions. 
you said there are some other tools that sort of get you there. So maybe you could share some of those. Like I know the tools I've been using, um, but I'm curious to know from hear from you in terms of what what tools that your teachers are using or that you've been pushing your teachers to use to help promote um, student engagement, even though the students are um, spread out all over the place. Yeah, one of the big ones is um, the one I mentioned where they can see the screen of the students. It's called Go Guardian. Uh, Go Guardian is is basically a nanny type program where you can see what the student's screen's doing, and you can also control it. So if you'd want them not to be on a certain website, you can actually close out their window from wherever you're at. So I used it as a teacher last year when I was giving uh, students tests in person because I said, okay, you can use this website only and I could watch what they were doing. And if I saw them Googling, I could go in and close it out and send them a little message that says, you must remain on this website. How does that work? I mean, do students have to be logged on to GoGuardian themselves? Yeah. So when we set up our Google Classrooms, uh, Google works with GoGuardian. So we just upload our class lists and GoGuardian pulls it straight from the Google Classroom. And so anytime the student is on their um, school-issued device, we ask them to sign on with their Google account and then we could watch what they're doing. So if somebody, like a teacher, was to log in right now at seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night and see what the students are doing, they could actually see what they're doing on the school-issued device and GoGuardian actually tracks it. So we've had a couple of students who were on inappropriate sites from their school-issued computer and GoGuardian recorded which sites they had visited. And then that's an instant phone call from the from the dean or the assistant principal. So it's it's really nice to see what's going on. A little big brother-ish, but... Yeah. Sounds very big, bro- brothers. Oh, yeah. but it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me, especially if you can't see the students, which uh, is a very different situation than like Tim's, where he can actually see his students and in theory know that they're in the classroom. <laughs> Most of them. Yeah, I mean, but it's still, it's, I mean, that's why I was asking, I mean, about the instructional engagement tools. All right. So there are, I mean, there are tools depending on your situation, like GoGuardian, that can help in terms of tracking, but just in terms of like when you're working with a teacher, are there specific uh, tools or strategies that you recommend in terms of here are things you can do to help uh, maximize student engagement in the in your in instruction while you're teaching a class? Yeah, one of the programs is called Class Kick, and Class Kick is cool because it lets you make copies of individual slides and kids can write on the slides and you can see them actually physically doing work. So if they're doing a science problem or a math problem, you could see the work that's going in and they get little sticker rewards that the teacher gets to give. Um, It's amazing though, that some of the tools that when we were starting our, like when I started as a teacher, some of the things that we were told, you know, you really shouldn't do like don't call on a student specifically because as soon as you do all the rest of the class turns off. Now with um, virtual learning, it's almost better when you say, I'm going to ask Tim this next question so that Tim has an opportunity to, number one, stop watching the soccer game. (laughs) Number (laughs) Because you know he's watching. Yeah, Tim would. Number number two, he's got to turn on his microphone and be ready to answer the question. So it's actually front-loading the questions has been pretty advantageous. I mean, we used to just go... Absolutely not. Don't do that. You're never going to get anybody else 
to answer, but now it's become a thing where it's like, I'm going to go to the next three students. I'm going to go with Tim and then I'm going to go Karen. And then lastly, I'll go with Ish on the third question, pay attention to the answers. And that tends to work. I have, uh, I mean, I've, I've used a simpler, um, in terms of stacking responses. Um, I've actually, in some ways it's worked better than being face to face, which is I'll have kids just using, we use zoom at my school, just using the private chat. And so I'll ask a question and I'll say, all right, everybody send me your answer in chat. And that, that not only gets more get brains engaged more easily than in some ways more easily than in the physical classroom. But then I can also look at that and stack who do I want to call and in what order. And the kids feel a little more confident because they know that I've already seen their answer. And so it's a little less of a got you. And they've had an opportunity to think through their response before they're called on to ask it out loud. So those kind of strategies. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's giving kids a heads up has become a more important piece of instruction than necessarily in a traditional classroom. So related to that, um, how are you, because, you know, part of your job as the math science department chair is that you're helping and supporting teachers. And I would imagine online teaching is kind of new to most of them. So I would imagine they really need support in strategies, like how to get students to respond. So so how are you doing that? Yeah, they do. It's um, It's been more social emotional support more of you're doing a good job, keep it up. It, it's been really difficult for me, who is a, a very problem-based teacher, to say, hey, you know what, you got to get these kids engaged. It's still important to put that problem out there in front of them to get them thinking. The problem that we're seeing, obviously, is you can't see the kids thinking. So it's it's been more of keep doing the good thing, make the relationship happen. If you've got great relationships with the kids, the kids are going to respond. And at this point, if you get kids to respond and, hey, if they're showing off what they're having for lunch, because we've had a couple of kids do that, that to me is a positive thing. Whereas that kid used to do it to get attention. Now that's letting me know that kid is paying attention. And that's kind of a good thing. So anything you can do to push that relationship where the kid feels like, I'm answering this question because I care about the teacher and I care about the class. And that's the way they're showing that they care. I mean, that's a unique problem this fall, unlike last spring, in that for lots, especially at the high school level, actually every level, um, you don't have a relationship with these kids. Like, I mean, so you have, you're teaching students and the students have in many cases never met the teacher and had no relationship with them prior to a distance relationship. Yeah. And that's been the real hard part is to create those relationships. Um, you both know how important it is to get the kids to buy in. And, and the way you do that is to build that relationship early on and make that personal connection. Right now, it's so hard because we started remotely. We never met the kids, not even once. So it, it was really hard the first three weeks to really get the kids to go, this is my teacher. My teacher cares about me. And how do I show a student that I care about them if I'm looking at their little picture in a screen and I can't really see them because they don't have the camera on? And that, I mean, I, I would imagine you have teachers who are, I don't know, emotionally struggling themselves because it's strange to teach to pictures and to not even live interaction. Like technically it's live if they responding in the chat or something like that, but you're not seeing the students. You're not able to react, you know, 
So I would imagine, I mean, how are teachers um, handling it and how are you supporting them? It's, it's so much harder than that. It's because we aren't seeing the students on a daily basis. And then they're each teaching from their own space. So they're not sharing spaces at all. And they're teaching with their door closed. And they're in this office or this room by themselves the entire day. And human interaction is God. And most of us got into this profession because we like people. We really do like people. Yeah. And to take that away from, from you and say, you not only cannot teach people face to face, you have to now do it through a machine that you may or may not be comfortable with. Because I've got some teachers who've been at it for a really long time and who are great face to face, who now have to transition to a system that they're not used to. Uh, it, it's it's really, really difficult. The first few weeks, my wife's also a teacher and she teaches Spanish and it's like three minutes from our house, but they went remote after a couple of two weeks with the kids and just trying to get her to overcome the anxiety of having a second screen, for example, which I took for granted because I got all the tech in the world. But she asked me, she goes, do we have a screen? I was like, I, I got an extra one just laying around. And she's like, what do you mean? You have one laying around. I've got it. So just getting her to, to be used to using a second screen and a keyboard that's not attached to the computer because she had a laptop and an external mouse. And then you've got Zoom and then you've got um, they have teams from Microsoft and being able to maneuver all those things. And how do I put this and how do I assign it? The anxiety goes way up. So trying to get people to come down and go, OK, the first week, just focus on getting the kids right in front of you. Let them know that you're there for them. Let, let them see you. Let them understand that there's a human on the other end of this. And I said, the rest of the stuff, we will just build on one bit at a time. And that's what I did with my teachers too. And, and most of them were okay, but we're starting to see it again. Kids are now starting to disconnect. Sure. I mean, this, this is hard to maintain if you don't ever actually see anyone, right? Yeah. So when you say hard to connect, are you see, saying that you're finding the students beginning to remove themselves or the teachers are beginning to remove themselves or both? No, the teachers are still struggling to try to make sure the kids are there and involved as much as they can. The students were starting to see attendance start to become an issue. Um, they're, they're just not logging in. Oh. I mean, it, we're talking about a, a group of kids who grew up with social media, but in, in the social media world, they control their own image. In this one, we had a survey that went out to kids and the kids said, I don't want my camera on for another reason was... I don't know who's going to take a snapshot of me and put it on Snapchat or Instagram or something where they didn't control it. Wow, I hadn't thought of that. Right. Neither did I. It was weird. And, and like, a, like a different way of cyberbullying. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a whole nother Pandora's box. I know at our school, we had to do a whole, we had to do a whole new training on appropriate behavior between students and students and teachers and students when you're interacting in a digital environment. And that's a perfect example. Um, like I, at some point I innocently was going to take a picture, a screenshot of my zoom class just so I could start memorizing their names. Wow. Um, and that's a uh, verboten. Yeah. That's a no, no. Um, so yeah, that's, it's a whole, a whole tangled web, um, and, uh, of legitimate safety concerns. And I don't blame kids for being concerned about it or teachers for that matter. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you, cause you don't know in this era of 
I mean, there's all the software in the world for screenshots and, and, and grabs in Screencastify, and you don't know what's going to happen to you're putting your voice and your picture into ones and zeros. So, okay. So you're saying, and I think it's fantastic that they're, you know, focus on the connections and the relationships with the students, which obviously means there's less actual instruction time, I would imagine. So how are you addressing, you know, actually meeting the standards? And, and is that not an issue this year or we're just, you know, get as far as you can? Is there any thoughts around that? Yeah, it's a little bit of get as far as you can. Um, push them more than they think they can go. Just when you think a kid can't handle anymore, they can handle a whole lot more. Uh, keeping the emotions of the students in mind at all times and just keeping the pulse of the kids. We're tr still trying to push the standards as much as we can. And I'm still trying to help them improve their instruction on a daily basis by just simple things. Start the class out with a question instead of a, an I can statement, for example. Um, just because a question will get them thinking about math before the class even starts. An I can tends to shut kids off right away and the kids think, well, I can do that. I don't need to listen or I don't know how to do that. I don't even know what it means. I'm not going to listen. So the question at least gets them intellectually involved from the beginning and, and just to try to do what we've been trying to do in math for years, which is get them to ask more questions. If they ask the questions, there's nothing that's going to stop them from answering it. It's, it's the power of curiosity and it, just get them curious. And that's the tough part. So now are you trying to, because um, it seems like it would be really difficult, uh, but like teachers who teach the same subject, are you trying to have them be at the same place or is that an impossible expectation? That's actually been one of the things that's been so good about this is the one benefit because we don't do a full uh, eight to three day, we go from eight o'clock till one oh five. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we have what's called re-engagement time for kids who either miss the class or are doing poorly to meet with the teacher to get that extra help. And before, the teachers are there from 7.30 till 8 o'clock. So from 7.30 to 8, we try to have team meetings. And then every Wednesday, we try to have team meetings. So we've actually had a lot more of the collaborative time because the teachers really do need each other more than they ever have. So they're actually closer together because these lessons take a while to build. Sure. So I've seen science teachers, for example, will take turns creating videos of them doing experiments and they take turns in front of the camera and behind the camera and then share those out with the kids. And the kids love seeing their own teachers blowing stuff up or setting things on fire <laughs> or even in math class, you know, you're, you're, I just think we walk. can blow them up in math too. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we can. And we have. So now are you trying to get teachers because it's a virtual? Obviously, if they're teaching math or science, use virtual tools that, you know, that maybe they wouldn't have done in their face-to-face, -face, but now we're in this environment. Use some dynamic math. Use some, you know, online labs, I think it is for science. Are you trying to foster that a bit more? Yeah, that that has sold itself. It, it really has. Most of the things that I brought to them or asked them about, it's not even that I'm bringing it. I'm just like the money guy who says, I got a teacher who says, you know what? I heard of this great program. I want to try it out. Do we have the money in the budget? Right now, I don't have anything else to spend it on. So it's like, absolutely. Go give it a try. Let me know what you did. And hearing the te teams come back and go, Ish, 
I'm going to do this from now on when we're back from regular class. Oh, that is exciting. It, it is because that means that what they found, what the practice that they determined was helpful is moving their instruction forward. And it's something they're going to hold on to. And they're not doing it for me. They're doing it for themselves. Yeah, I did. I actually read an article about that where teachers comfort with technology tools that normally they would not be using is is increasing. So that's you just give me um, proof of that, I guess. I, w- I want to ask the broader question. I mean, I think we're, you're sort of walking down that road and so is Karen. But uh, as you're reflecting on how teachers are um, approaching their profession and their practice, um, there, I mean, there's the tools that you just talked about, but are there other things that you could articulate that you see having an influence or an effect on the new normal? I mean, assuming at some point we're going to be able to go back to school and have a uh, physical experience similar to what we had before nine months ago? Yeah. Um, one of the good things that we're doing um, as a building is we have a principal who's very focused on professional development, developing teachers. It's hard to do PD virtually. So what we've been doing is doing coaching cycles. And usually when your administrator walks in the room, you get nervous or you start doing things you don't normally do. So what has allowed us is that we're able to have these coaching conversations where it's not about the, you know, are you doing a good job? Am I looking to get rid of you or reprimand you? It really is focused on growing the teacher. So I'm doing coaching cycle with five teachers right now. And we've been looking at lesson plans and how do your lesson plans predict where you're going, what you're thinking about doing, and really being mindful about the things you put down in a lesson plan to make sure that those come true fruition in your class. And then when I go into the classroom, ask you questions like, hey, you had this question on there about parabolas and what the roots are. How did the students respond? What did you notice about the responses? And get them to be more reflective of it from the get-go. So those conversations have been great in my ability to just be, instead of the scary administrator who comes in with a tie, I'm just some letter on a screen right now because my camera's off. I'm another letter on the screen and they just go about their business. And afterwards, the conversation is very much, hey, what did you see? What what went well? And teachers are so much harder on themselves than I ever am as an outsider because I'm looking at all the good stuff and going, okay, how can I give them advice on making this even better? And the teacher is always a lot harder because you know exactly what you wanted to happen. And when it doesn't go the way you thought, you end up being a lot harder on yourself. So, okay. So you say you're having these coaching sessions. So are there set times during the week? Like, is that something that you're doing one-on-one or are you doing it as a group? Like, how's that work? The meetings, I have five teachers that I meet with for four weeks and we did, um, we started adding pieces to the lesson plan. So the first week we said, okay, focus on a question. After that, having some good examples, good openers, good closers, good activities in the lesson. And then I'll pop in on one of the uh, classes during the, the week and document some things that I see that went well, uh, attached to the Danielson rubric and specifically in areas two and three. Okay. And I give them feedback on that. And then we talk about it afterwards and just have a conversation on the things that I saw that went well. And we, we send an email that's called uh, glows and grows what went well and what would you, uh, want to see improved on or done more of. And the teachers have been really positive. I mean, there's, it's a, not as scary 
to have an administrator watching you anymore. Can you uh, just briefly, for people who might be listening who aren't familiar with the Danielson rubric, uh, just briefly describe what that is? Yeah, the Danielson rubric, um, it's four components. One of them is on planning and getting to know students. Um, The second one, I want to say the second one is on your rapport with students. That's domain two. Domain three is instruction. And then domain four is all the professional things that you do on the on the backside, contacting parents, uh, making sure you've got good records. So it's a, a system that's used for evaluating teachers um, in Illinois anyway. It's used in a lot of places. They use it in uh, New Jersey as well. So I'm not very good at number four as the teacher who just realized he's forgotten to turn in his attendance three days in a row now. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So since it's such a strange time and and sometimes you were talking about earlier how like you're in a classroom, but you can't actually hear, you can only see what they're doing. How are you, you know, doing your observ? Like, how are you marking what you're seeing if you can't even hear sometimes what they're doing? Yeah. My first one doing it virtually was really, really hard because I forgot to ask for the links to the classroom I forgot to ask for the links for Go Guardian. I forgot to ask for the links to Class Kick <laughs> or Pared Deck or whatever the thing is. Now I've gotten a whole lot better in the pre-conference to go, okay, tell me specifically what you're going to be using. Okay, make sure that I'm included in your classroom as an observer. Make sure that I'm included in your um, in your Go Guardian so that I can see what's going on. Give me the link for the video so that I can hear what's going on. If there's breakout rooms, make sure you share those links with me so that I can jump into breakout rooms and be an observer. So the first time it was like watching pantomime. (laughs) It was, and that was the worst. It was like, I'm sorry, but we have to do that over again because I couldn't hear anything. You were talking, but I didn't know to who or, or about what. So we had to do it over again. After that, now it's gotten pretty good. It's watching what they're saying listening to kids like we normally would, um, paying attention to the prompts and saying, hey, did that prompt allow students an opportunity to add more than a yes or no answer? Because the worst is yes, or you see the little thumbs up in the Google Meet come up, or you see a hand clapping because kids are clapping, but you don't really get much else. And the interaction has to be there. So it's being really purposeful about asking a question that's going to require a kid to either type in a whole lot on Google chat, which they don't want to do, or just unmute themselves to say, I've got an answer and here's what I think. So I'm curious, uh, in your experience in this year, have you found teachers to be more or less open to coaching um, in the in this in today's day and age in COVID than they were in your previous experience as an instructional leader? Uh, It's weird. I've seen both. I've seen some teachers who are very much ish. Help me. I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if this lesson is going to flop. I don't know if the kids are getting anything from it. And I've seen others that are like, you know what? I know what I'm doing. Just leave me alone. Both in a good way and a bad way. I've some of the I saw a lesson recently that I was just like, wow. If I wasn't if I was in class, I'd be sleeping. And it's really hard to do when you're remote, because nobody's watching you, you could easily nod off. But it was just a very, very dry lesson. But the kids were involved. At the end of the day, it's like, did you have kids chiming in and talking? 
And that teacher had enough rapport to be able to pull together a lesson that I would not think was very engaging and end up having a really engaging conversation with kids. You sure you weren't in my Zoom room for that lesson? (laughs) (laughs) You never know. We did have a lot of problems with Google bombing where kids were uh, sharing the Google um, link with other friends and people were popping in from all over the place. Yeah, we had that. Yeah, I would imagine that's probably an issue a lot of schools faced is like, yeah, Zoom bombing, Google bombing, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the Zoom, I'm sure I've, I think Zoom is a tool I know the best just because that's what I've been using. Um, I mean, there's some simple things you can do that knock out most of that. Like they have like waiting rooms so that yeah. kids have to, before you let them into class, you have to see their name. And so if you don't recognize the name, which I mean, there's nothing perfect, but uh, there are ways to uh, um, to help limit, at least severely limit those kind of issues because it does happen. I mean, Usually just kids trying to be funny, but uh, we did have one today. We had an incident at our middle school this year where it wasn't, I mean, it was a kid, but it wasn't being funny. It was, it caused, it caused a major incident. Wow. Ooh. All right. So I have another question about like the coaching. So I know I, when I was an administrator, part of my job was particularly with new teachers and the struggling teachers was you're doing the coaching sessions, right? So you're helping them lesson plan and then you're observing, but you're also co-teaching when you can to kind of model for them, you know, how do you ask good questions and how do you wait time and how do you, you know, do manipulatives, those types of things. So can you do stuff like that? Or is that just too much in a virtual environment to do like a co-teaching experience? I've offered and I haven't had anybody take me up on the offer yet, but I have offered to say, Hey, if you ever want somebody to go in and co-teach with you or, you know, take a chunk of the lesson and introduce a topic or use a different piece of technology, bring in, you know, uh, classped.net and, and run that through, the, through its paces. If you don't want to have to learn that technology, I could totally come in and do that. I haven't had anybody take me up on it yet, though. I think it's still, they still are very um, onerous of their stuff and of their classes and sure. aren't really, and plus I'm the new guy at the building. So it's like, getting used to seeing me and making sure that, you know, I'm really not an ogre in the few times they have seen me. And part of that is just the PD too, and changing the culture. And the culture part is the hardest part to really change. It's the one thing that would move a building in a positive direction is changing the culture. That's the one thing that takes the longest time to do. Yeah. I was going to say, it must be very strange for you. You're in a new environment, new school. So you don't, even know the teachers. So you're almost having the same experience they are with their students where you didn't know them. And yet now you are supposed to be supporting them and uh, helping them. Yeah. So that must be strange. It's worked to my advantage though, because they haven't had the interactions as much. So the times they have needed me, it's been my support, my letting them know, Hey, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. It's not going to be perfect for a really long time. I don't even know if I ever really want this to be perfect. Because I want to come back with kids in classes. I want to be able to see you interacting with students. I want to I want to have that come back to being the regular normal instead of the new normal, which is not seeing them at all. Yeah. Strange. Very strange. So all this virtual stuff and changes, are, are there going to be assessments or, you know, how's that working? How do you, how do you know if a kid passed a grade if you've never even seen them and they're not necessarily covering the entire content that's required. Yeah. 
or you know how do you know the the work is their own oh. um we've been forced to get away from the old school math assessments and the old school science assessments like we're trying to avoid bubble sheets um simple force response type questions or solve for x solve for x solve for x right those can be taken care of by technology heck they've got it on their phone now they can just photo math it and gives them everything including all the work so getting them to move away from those type of assessments to more open-ended assessments where they're asking students to gather data in my science department for example my biology team is just knocking it out of the park because their assessments are now performance-based. There's not a single multiple choice question on there. And my math department is moving in that direction. It takes longer to grade. Absolutely. You really need to have a rubric and have something where this you can point out where the strengths and weaknesses are. But we're moving in that direction. And, and this has made us realize that some of our old tests that had 50 questions on it that were all the same type just aren't working. You can do it with five questions but they have to be really, really good questions. Yeah, I almost think that this is forcing us to embrace like the Common Core standards, like where it's problem-based learning and it, I think it's changing the way that we're teaching and that will continue when they get back into a classroom, I hope. Yeah, I think so too. It, it, it forces, it, you're right, it forces the hand. Yeah, I mean, and I would even push back a little on the more time grading because, uh, I mean, we've definitely, I mean, I've learned the same lesson that Ish is articulating that you, those skills-based problems as, I mean, in math, other subject areas have different, I can't speak to other subject areas, but traditionally on your math test, you might start with some skills-based problems and then go to the application contextual problems or whatever people want to call them. But those skills-based problems are useless um, because you have to assume that uh, even if you can watch what's on their screen, you can't. You, they may have a phone right next to them, and you're never going to see that phone. Um, teachers, it, not only can you find take a picture of a problem now and get the answer with the with the steps worked out, but if you want to use it positively, the Microsoft their Bing app, not only can will it solve the problem, but you can, it'll give you a worksheet of similar type problems. Oh. Wow. If you're looking for a drill and kill worksheet, all you have to do is find one problem. Oh, wow. Take a picture of it with Microsoft Bing <laughs> and it'll give you a PDF. Oh, wow. But let me finish my point, which is I don't think it takes more time. It takes a lot more time in the setup. You have to find good tasks. Um, and I'm sure that uh, maybe if, uh, we, if this part stays in the podcast, we can give some links to good tasks that we know of from some subject areas. Karen and I know squat about science, but it should. Um, but, but you have to find the tasks and you have to create the rubrics and that's time consuming. But once you have the rubrics, like I have found the grading to be, if you write a good rubric, the grading is actually easier because in traditional grading, you're dealing with all the partial credit and how many points. Well, in rubric, uh, especially in rubric standards-based grading, the, once you have a solid rubric, it's actually easier to go through um, at least in my experience, I find it I find it easier to go through and less time consuming to do the grading itself after the fact. Yeah, I I use rubrics with my uh, Drexel students and I love it. Yeah, because it's you either met this stage or you didn't, and here's why. Yeah, here's what you need to improve. Yeah, and the rubric takes care of that conversation for you because they'll look at it and go, "Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't have that in there." Right. Well, and it's good instruction too. I mean, I I just finished doing parent conferences last week, and uh, those students. The students who want to get A's and everything and talking to their parents, why do I only have a B and I want an A? 
I mean, I, I give out the rubrics ahead of the assessment. I'm like, well, the rubric tells you pretty much exactly what the expectation is to the point where if it's a well-written rubric, a student can almost know what grade they're going to get when they turn it in. Like they may not know if they did the computation correctly, but in terms of um, the level of work, the level of justification they provide, and they should have, they should go into it knowing exactly what's required if they want to make a, a score, um, whatever their goal is. So I know this is probably not the norm everywhere because I, I, you know, I know there's teachers that are literally probably just putting a worksheet up and here's what you're going to do. So I know that's in a lot of places, but in places like where you are, where you're really trying to uh, have teachers provide really thought provoking problem solving approach. Do we think that this might change, say, the standardized tests like the SAT or the AP or even end of course tests, since this is now sort of changing the way we are teaching? Yeah, I, I was pretty impressed with how quickly AP shifted in March when this happened. I mean, they decided we're going to have a shorter test. It's going to be open response. It's going to be only a couple of questions. So in theory, it was a more condensed test that tested the same information. What do kids know and are able to do? Um, the technology glitches were numerous. Yeah. So here, this is, this is a clip for another episode altogether that we were planning on doing. So what's your opinion about the validity of the shortened AP test? You know, it's, I, I got to wonder. Um, the questions were shorter. They were different. Uh, it, it's hard to tell. I mean, I would love to think that the students were able to do it on their own. The, the time frame is the other part. It's such a short time frame for them to be able to complete the test and then have to turn around and upload it while everybody else in the country was uploading it. So, I mean, they ran into some pretty big issues. The validity of it, I mean, we're going to have to wait and see does, how did the students do when they entered into their college classroom, are they showing the same kind of knowledge base that they did in the past or were the tests in the past flawed also? I mean, we it's, it's a great experiment in our ability to know what a kid knows from a couple of questions on a test. But like you said, that's a conversation for another podcast because you get into that whole, how do you know what a kid really knows? Well, I mean, are you guys going to have assessments at the, the end. I mean, or is it too soon to even make that decision? Like a, like formal, you know, end of course type of assessments um, at the, for this school year to, to determine whether a student has passed or really fulfilled the obligations of the grade. Yeah, we're, um, we're still going to have final exams. Uh, it sounds like our school is going to go to a 10% versus a 20%. I was pushing for no final exams, just extend the year by that extra week because that time is precious and every minute we can get out of the kids would be great. But the time, like the time to grade those, turn them around, turn in the grades and you're doing the grading on a screen, which is the other part that I never realized how hard it was until I had a grade test on a screen. Then, and some kids would send pictures that were really blurred or really dark or their penmanship was horrible or you name it, the screen that I had was too small, all of that stuff. And after a couple of them, you just, even with a great rubric, you're reading things on a screen and its eye strain is killing you. 
Oh, ish. Every teacher listening to this podcast is nodding their heads and rolling their eyes as they're hearing you say, as they're hearing you say this. <laughs> I guarantee it. It'll be an interesting study a couple of years down the road, like how many people, how many students, how many teachers need glasses earlier than bef- they ever had before, you know, what is the impact of all this screen time? Yeah. My fear is, though, that because we're doing final exams and because the turnaround is so quick, that we're going to go back to a bubble form kind of uh, test that has 50 of them. Of course. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what's going to happen. Because you're going to have how many to grade, how quickly? Yeah. How's that going to transfer if the kids have been or the teachers have been really trying to focus on the more problem-solving approach and then all of a sudden it's going to go back to process and skill base? And that's where I'm pushing the PLC group, the um, the professional learning communities, to go, you know what, let's pick some high-end standards, some standards that go across multiple topics and choose a couple of really well-planned questions where if a kid talks to his friend, it's not the worst case scenario. I mean, if you're doing math with a group of people, you're still doing math. It's Was it your own math? Was it unique? Where do I see the actual learning? That's the tough part. But trying to get teams to go, you know what? We can do it. We can do it with 10 questions or five questions. We just have to pick some really, really good ones that they can't Google or that photo math can't solve. And that that right there, I think that's another episode too. Where do you find these problems <laughs> or or how do you take problems? Because, you know, everyone's got their textbook, but we know those tend to not be very high quality. You know, so how do you take something and make it more of a doing math and multiple approach. See, this, this is where we need to have sponsors because then we could plug tools here. Well, that, that's our <laughs> next goal, right? So I just wanted to ask Ish if you had any, you know, suggestions or tips for leaders, you know, education leaders who are trying to support teachers in this crazy time, like any, you know, two things or three things that you would suggest that might be helpful. Yeah. Um, what I tell my departments everywhere that I've been is I'm here for you. I work for you. I don't work. You don't work for me. Um, I'm here to support you and to mean it. Um, I got into the business to help kids learn math. And I realized that through leadership, you could actually help more students by helping the teachers get into that uncomfortable place that they don't know exists, that place where they're doing something they've never done before but the end result is, ish, I've worked harder than I've ever worked before. But man, I feel so much more rewarded because of the results um, to get them to be happy teaching again. Um, find a way to make sure that your people are pleased with what they're doing and continue to push them. Because once you've got that relationship, just like the kids, you can ask them to do anything. And if they have that trust, if they have that support and they know they can go to you and say, hey, ish that lesson went horribly, please don't hold that against me. I will be right there with you, brushing you off going, okay, that was really bad, but what did we do well? What? How can we build on that part and make it part of your regular routine? And we'll forget about that lesson and we'll, we'll try it again tomorrow and we'll see how that goes because every day is different. So just be there for the people and the people will be there for you and the kids when they, when they need them. I agree. I we need to, as teachers, we need to forgive ourselves. I mean, the reality is even those of us who have been teaching for years and years, well, you haven't been doing this. Um, and 
there are going to be lessons that just don't work and things you're going to try and they're just not going to work. And we have to be able to quickly forgive ourselves and show up the next day. Yeah. And if you've got the kids on your side, you can fall flat on your face. They'll laugh with you and then they'll pick it up right from the where they left off and, and do it all over again and go, you know what? We trust you. We know you tried. Let's learn the right way. Amen. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just want to thank you so much. It's, it's really interesting hearing. Uh, We're going to hopefully talk to some different teachers at different grade levels and different subject areas to just get a feel what, what's going on. So I really appreciate you sharing your experience ish. Um, It's been great talking to you. Thanks. It's been great being on here. Agreed. Yes. I don't know. I've I've known you for a while now, so it's 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 been great getting your your perspective on on these challenges, especially like we were laughing earlier about uh, how you have no shortage of technology. I guess we didn't give Ish's proper props at the beginning of this thing about the being the tech guru master. <laughs> um, Definitely the tech guru master. I got rid of my smart board. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ish. Thanks, Tim, and everyone for listening. We're excited that you joined us. And please make sure you go to our website, 180days.education, and leave us some comments on the episode or a suggestion of something you'd like to hear. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we will see you or hear you next time, I guess. No, that doesn't make sense. We're not going to see anyway. You shall hear. But, you know, but you could say that anyway, and we just we'll just go. We'll just roll with it. Like we'll we'll see you, because you know, in the virtual world, you never you know, seeing the verb seeing has all different meanings now. Sure, if they want to stare at us on the website, we are there. So, so, so Quinn, you should leave in the greenhouse saying that we'll see you later. Don't don't delete that. Leave that in. against research, who seek to limit our educational system. The educated citizen knows how much more there is to know. Knowledge is power, more so today than ever before.